Talkers, this is the 2A Lifestyle Podcast. This is your gracious host, 2A Leo. But I just wanted to wish y'all a happy Easter weekend. I'm actually recording this on Easter, uh, so I hope y'all have a great weekend. This is going to be an interesting show. Uh, Before we get started off, I want to say sorry for fucking up the last two episodes with the bumper music. This is a learning experience for me, so eventually I'll get this fucker right. But I hope y'all bear with me. Hope y'all still enjoyed at least the content that I put out. Uh, This is going to be a good show just because of the fact that there is going to be another article. Uh, Again, y'all can bitch and complain all you want. Let me know what you think. But there is another article out there that is uh, actually in the New Yorker. Uh, It is called The Secrecy, Self-Dealing, and Greed of the NRA. Uh, It is a very interesting article. It is put out by a uh, liberal, very anti-gun person, and we'll get on to that shortly. But I think it is important that we talk about how the NRA is not necessarily looking out for the best entrance of its members or the Second Amendment or the gun community. Uh, So that's what we're going to be getting into. We're also going to be talking about a new Glock that has been leaked. Uh, And also we're going to be talking about uh, some new weapons that have come out. And in the culture segment today, we're going to be going over the highwaymen and the weapons and firearms that were used in it. Uh, If you haven't seen it, it's pretty fucking awesome. It's on Netflix. It's about the law enforcement officers that captured and killed Bonnie and Clyde. It's pretty fucking good. Anyway, before we get started... Y'all go take a like, uh, look out on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, give us a like and follow. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. Uh, and I greatly appreciate y'all listening again to this third episode. This is going to be an interesting episode. This one might take a little bit longer than an hour, uh, just because of the fact that I think that this article I'm going to be reviewing today is very relevant to us in the gun community. It is very relevant to us that like this to a lifestyle that we are a part of, and I think it is great that somebody is holding some accountability uh, to the NRA board and to the NRA executives uh, over there. So let's just go on and jump into this fucking podcast. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and jump into the uh, main segment of our podcast. Again, as I stated earlier, this this podcast is going to be uh, just going over the de- in detail, uh, a little bit more detail, in fact, than I think some of the other uh, articles that we went over. But it is an article from The New Yorker that was published by Mike Spies, April 17, 2019. And the title of it is Secrecy, Self-Dealing, and Greed at the NRA. The organization's leadership is focused on external threats, but the real crisis may be internal. Let me just go into a little bit about, <clears throat> go into a little bit of detail first about the, obviously it's coming from the New York, which is a very liberal publication, but also it's coming from a, it's being published by the New Yorker, but it's actually written by somebody from Trace. Uh, Trace, and the article actually describes it on 
page two when I printed this motherfucker out. It says the story was published in partnership with The Trace, a nonprofit news organization covering guns in America. First off, if you haven't, uh, before you go overlook this, just so you can tell the bias, go look at Trace. Uh, just Google Trace, you'll find it. Uh, capital, all caps, T R A C E. Uh, it is a very anti-gun and a very pro-gun control organization. All they publish is shit to try and scare people into being anti-gun, pro-gun control. Uh, and the author, Mike Spies, uh, I just did a Google search on him and he is very, very fucking anti-gun, very, very fucking anti-NRA. The 12 articles that I saw on the first Google page, the first Google uh, search page that I saw, he wrote at least 12 articles singling out the NRA and Wayne LaPierre, but fucking who cares about Wayne LaPierre, uh, just singling them out and very much just he attacks them, very much doesn't like him, wants to see that the NRA is obviously go under. But before we get too deep into this, I just want to say that I feel that the NRA is necessary uh, for the gun community because the three stages of pro-gun control are in a correction, pro-gun and anti-gun control, uh, you know, to help us with the laws and to help us get over some of these gun control laws like magazine uh, limitations, uh, quote-unquote assault rifle bans, shit like that. Uh, you need the NRA. The three steps of gun advocacy are uh, ag uh, activism or advocacy, which is you getting your ass and doing things like doing rallies at the state capitol, fucking writing your your congressmen, your legislatures. Uh, then there's also litigation, uh, which is the, uh, a correction, litigation is the suing uh, of these state governments taking these uh, gun control uh, measures to the Supreme Court, to the circuit courts, to the appellate courts to find them unconstitutional. And then, of course, there's lobbying, which is actually before litigation. I'm just kind of fucking out of order, but it's a little early in the morning. Get the fucking get up from my fucking ass. But anyway, but uh, yeah, so there's lobbying. And obviously, lobbying is what most people think the NRA does. Lobbying is crucial because it lets these legislatures know that if you vote for this gun control pieces of shit bills that you will not have a job longer because it is the people that give you your job. They give you your authority. Uh, so advocacy, lobbying, and litigation, those are the three main things that support the Second Amendment that that uh, obviously shows that gun control is what not is not what we need in America. So uh, those are the three things, and I believe the NRA is involved in all three of those. You have uh, the activism. Uh, there are uh, people that work with the NRA that go out and do the advocacy, uh, that support, that rally up local gun owners. Uh, there's obviously the biggest lobbyist in the gun uh, community, so it is very important. Uh, that is huge in the gun community. And then there's litigation. And if you think that the NRA doesn't do a whole lot of litigation that you mainly hear about the Firearms Policy Coalition, you hear about the Gun Owners of America, you hear about the Firearms, uh, Firearms Policy Foundation, 
Yes, those guys are basically the fucking attack dogs. They are, uh, you know, the ones that are just quick to jump on any shit. But the NRA uh, does do litigation. Last year they had a uh, huge win in it was either Washington, or Oregon. They are also in the fight in Pittsburgh to help gun owners there with the magazine limitations. So the NRA does do litigation. So uh, that is very important. But anyway, so let's get into this article a little bit more of the meat and potatoes of it. But the first thing in the second paragraph that I think is uh, very telling, and if you haven't been keeping up with the news in reference to the NRA and all this shit, uh, you need to. It states that in recent years, the annual deficits of the NRA has reached $40 million. Now I understand that seems like a lot of fucking money for you and me because we're just Joe Schmo out in the streets. $40 million is a lot of motherfucking money. It's still a lot of motherfucking money for the NRA too. I mean, you know, if uh, you look at the NRA budget, that is a lot of fucking money. So $40 million in deficits, that's just absolutely motherfucking insane. And the majority of this article is going to be based off a 2017 uh, release of the NRA's budget and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's where the majority of this lies. So some of this information is obviously at least a year because they haven't, uh, you know, he doesn't do any reporting on the 2018 uh, budget analysts. And obviously we're still in 2019. But something else that I thought was interesting, because I'm going to let you know, I'm an advocate for the NRA. Uh, I sign people up for NRA memberships and NRA recruiter. I'm also the board of directors for the Friends of the NRA here locally. But I am a huge proponent of telling people when they sign up for the NRA, hey, if you don't like the NRA, vote for the motherfucking board of directors. That is the best way that you can actually influence the NRA. If you are not able to vote yet for the board of directors, write to the board of directors. Yeah, there's 75 of them, so you might get a little fucking hand cramp. But uh, I have not personally written every single board of director, but I have written probably over 40 board of directors myself. Just handwritten letters, letting them know, say, hey, this is what I think that needs to happen. I am an NRA member. Here is my NRA ID number. I think this is what needs to happen because you are basically fucking up uh, with the NRA and its message at the moment. And you are honestly, and I'm just letting you know, I'm 31 years old. The NRA is losing a generation of shooters. It is losing my generation, the millennials. Uh, every time I talk to people my age at the gun range or at the gun stores or whatever the fuck, they're saying that it is more like their granddad's organization or their dad's organization. It's not their organization. Uh, a lot of people my age support the Gun Owners of America. They support the Firearms Policy Coalition. They f uh, support the Firearms Policy Foundation. That is even if they are a member of a, uh, a gun uh, pro-gun organization. Uh, they do not consider the NRA really their organization. So I let the board of directors know that. I think that they are losing a generation of shooters and they are also losing power because the fact that they are not representing my generation. Uh, so and when I do the NRA recruiting, I tell people, you know, obviously, you know, NRA is known for lobbying, but they do a whole lot more. Uh, there's like 160, I think, different organizations within the NRA of what they do. You have the training, you have the competitions, you have the firearm safety, you have the hunting education, hunting safety. But in this article, something that's interesting that I thought is that gun safety and training now makes up less than 10% of its budget. 
10% of the underage budget is still a lot of fucking money, and you can do a lot with that money, but it is pretty sad to know that only 10% of our dues uh, are going to gun safety and training, which is a humongous thing, I believe, in the com- gun community when you're dealing with small children. I have a 5- and 8-year-old. I teach them gun safety at least once a week. Hey, what are the rules if you find a gun? What do you do if you do find a gun? Uh, you know, shit like that. That is important. Um, Eddie the Eagle is a huge uh, gun safety training aid that the NRA does, um, and it is not used very much. Uh, there are, I know my law enforcement agency has some Eddie the Eagle literature that we hand out. I know another local agency actually has an Eddie the Eagle mascot that they can take and do shit with, but uh, that's, that's a great, great way to introduce parents to the NRA. It is a great way to introduce kids to the NRA, and it is a great way to introduce kids to firearms, about firearm safety. So the fact that when I read this, that gun safety and training now makes up less than 10% of the NRA's budget, I was a little disappointed. Uh, That's something I didn't know. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of shit in this article I didn't know, and I keep up a lot with the NRA. Uh, I keep up a lot with what's going on with them because I personally think that they're not heading right down the right path. And I think they need to get their shit together and they need to make sure that the future of firearms is secured for my children and their children, my grandchildren, because if it continues the way that politicians would like it, and I'm saying all politicians, because politicians want to wrangle control from you because they don't like it when we have more power than they would like us to have. And the biggest way is the ballot box and at the end of uh, a gun, because that's how politicians are kept in check historically, uh, it is insane. Um, But anyway, going on a little bit more, uh, it states that now the organization is more about lifestyle and demonizing anti-gunners. Yeah, that is obviously pretty fucking clear if you've been keeping up with any NRA publications and media since the Obama era. It is very much uh, demonizing anti-gunners. It's all about the the doom and gloom, uh, is what I've read a lot of people call it, that a lot of people don't like about the NRA, is that they're all doom and gloom. And it's very much true. Uh, It's also a little bit about that lifestyle uh, of the Second Amendment lifestyle, which I believe is somewhat true. They do uh, do a lot more to try, I think, and reach out to my generation, like with uh, Coleon Noir. Uh, He had a segment on NRA TV uh, that was kind of tactical shit. Um, But I think, you know, hey, let the NRA diversify. It needs to diversify. So more about the lifestyle. Yeah, I agree with demonizing anti-gunners. Yeah, but they, you know, it's all a fucking part of trying to raise money because that's what the NRA is trying to do. It's a non-for-profit. So um, they are trying to raise money. And unfortunately, that's the way they're doing it. It turns a lot of people off. But then again, going back to what I said earlier, a lot of people think the NRA is the organization of our fathers and grandfathers, and that's the kind of shit that they like to see, and that's the one who breaks out the checkbooks. You know, I fucking know it. If you don't know it, you're just fucking blind. Uh, If you don't agree with that, again, I just think you're just keeping your eyes shut and your ears covered. That's what they're doing uh, to try and raise money. Uh, And then finally, in the uh, he talks about Dana Loesch and Coleon Noir, who I just mentioned. Um, and this is something, it is exact quote from the article. Quote, Dana Loesch, a former Breitbart news editor who has said that mainstream journalists are the rat bastards of the earth and deserve to be curb stopped. End quote. Uh, a 
that is a little bit out of context, not a whole lot, but a little bit of context. I actually, when I read this article, yeah, I know of Dana Loesch and uh, the shit that she does for the NRA, but I just wanted to kind of take a look and see exactly what was the context of this because he's got it in, you know, in quotes in the article, the rat bastard of the earth and in curb stomp, those are in quotes in this article. So obviously he wanted to make sure that he used her exact words, but he used just little snippets. Um, so when she was talking about this, she was talking about how uh, some media companies got attacked and she said they deserve to be curb stomped. Um, for their fake news and all that other, you know, Trump language that she likes to use. Uh, so it's not literally curb stomped. Uh, so, you know, when I think of curb stomped, I think of that fucking scene from American History X. Uh, so it's just a figure of speech, but that's something that she decided to use. But going on to the next quote about Colion Noir, he says, quote, Noir appeared in a video chiding, and then he has it in quotes in here, all the kids from Parkland getting ready to use your First Amendment to attack everyone else's Second Amendment, end quotes, both in the article and from uh, his quote of Colion Noir. And, of course, anybody that is anti-gun and pro-gun control is going to use victims to push their message. So he is using the the teenagers at Parkland as oh, we got to look out for these poor Parkland kids because they're being attacked by these evil bastards from the NRA and specifically Coleon Noir, which anybody in the gun community is fucking tired of David motherfucking Hawk. His ass was on anything and everything that had to do with gun control and even some other shit because uh, he was the poster boy That's the media decided to pick as let's shove a microphone in his fucking face and let him say some shit that demonizes guns and maybe we'll gain some sympathy because you know this guy was a, a supposedly a victim of his friends being killed and uh you know getting shot at whatever the fuck he claimed you know all that s stupid shit but you know, I remember the meme. It showed uh, the fucking dude from the Green Mile. And he was like, I'm tired of David Hogg, boss. Well, that's how the fuck we all felt after it. But going on into the article, uh, you know, I just thought that was, especially for Colin Noir, I think that was a very uh, unfair attack against him. But uh, he goes on to say, and this is, again, something I didn't know. Uh, and this is very interesting, and this is why I'm pointing this out, is you will see a reoccurring theme in this article about Ackerman and McQueen. And if you are not familiar with Ackerman and McQueen, that is basically why the NRA is in such a fucking pitfall uh, for finances right now. But he states, Loesch and Noir are actually employed by Ackerman McQueen. And I didn't know that. But also, Loesch, for one year, was paid $1 million by Ackerman and McQueen. So that was interesting as fuck for me because I did not realize Dana Loesch and uh, fucking Colion Noir were not even employed by the NRA. They're actually employed by Ackerman McQueen, which if you don't know, Ackerman McQueen does a lot of the PR stuff for the NRA. They actually run, uh, they actually run NRA TV and they actually publish, uh, the NRA magazine, America's first freedom. Uh, and in here, you know, they, he states that Ackerman McQueen has devised some of the more successful campaigns for the NRA. And this is another thing I didn't know. They are the ones that did I Am the NRA, 
which you know recruited gun owners, including Tom Selleck and Carl Malone, the basketball player, to pose with uh, firearms and basically state that you know I'm a gun owner, I am the NRA, that kind of shit. And they also uh, Ackerman and McQueen did the uh, the promotions freedom's the safest place uh in which you know act uh it showed the nra you know pulling out fucking people from uh different walks of life i think charlie daniels was on there one of the benghazi survivors was on there of course dana loesch was on there uh just basically saying that the nra is, is freedom's safest place uh for gun rights so that's something I didn't know. I personally like some of those campaigns. Uh, I think I still have some of the shit that says stand and fight the NRA because uh, I really like that campaign. So uh, it's it's interesting. And I thought that it was uh, very telling because, yeah, I mean, I imagine I, I'm not in the business of public relations, but I imagine those campaigns were pretty fucking expensive. Uh, because it was very high quality. You had some celebrities in there. Celebrities don't do shit for free because they can just get money with shit, not doing shit, but having their name on stuff. So uh, very, very, very fucking interesting. And something else I didn't know that I thought was also very telling. Oliver North, who we know now is the president of the NRA, who was elected last year, which I'm not a huge fucking fan of, but again, it's the NRA going after the the boomers, the fuds, you know, my dad and granddad's generation of gun owners. Uh, he was elected the president of the NRA last year. He was paid one million dollars through Ackerman and McQueen. So, who does Oliver North actually work for? Does he work for the actual NRA? Does he work for Ackerman and McQueen? Um, I don't. I don't know. That is a great question. That's something that I would personally like to see a uh, larger Second Amendment journalist, maybe from Athlon, uh, you know, that does like recoil and ballistic, uh, that they interview some of these uh, NRA board of directors and executives and say, does Oliver North actually work for the NRA, the organization, or does it work for Ackerman McQueen? Why the fuck was he paid a million dollars? That's ridiculous, in my opinion. And of course. As you'll see going on through this, you know, Ackerman and McQueen definitely billed the NRA for fucking paying Oliver North $1 million. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's ridiculous that he gets getting paid, uh, you know, from the NRA for being the president. And he's getting paid from Ackerman and McQueen a million motherfucking dollars. So, uh, and goes on into the article. Uh, This is interesting because... As I stated before, NRA is a not-for-profit organization, so that makes it tax-exempt, which makes it be able to stretch its money a lot further than other organizations that are for-profit. They don't have tax-exempt status. Um, But in here, he states that he interviewed a Mark Owens, who served for 10 years as the head of the Internal Revenue Service Division that oversees tax-exempt enterprises. Well, Mark Owens looked at the 2017 financial uh, release, you know, statement releases of uh, the NRA, and in the article, he, they quote him as saying, "The litany of red flags is just extraordinary. The materials reflects." one of the broadest arrays of likely transitions that I've ever seen. There's a tremendous range of what appears to be the misuse of assets for the benefit of certain vendors and people in control. And then he also says, those, if confirmed, could lead to the revocation of the NRA's tax-exempt status, which 
is a humongous fucking blow. I'm sure the gun control and the anti-gunners out there would love to see that because if that's the case with the already financial stresses that the NRA has, it would totally sink the NRA. So you would lose the largest Second Amendment organization that is out there fighting for Second Amendment rights. So uh, that is uh, very, very telling in, in, in my own words, I guess you can say. That's, that's the best way I can say it. But uh, it goes on to kind of give a little bit of a history of the NRA. And he states that during the 1990, uh, 1977 revolution, which, again, if you haven't looked up the history of the NRA, look it up. That's where the NRA basically went from a training and safety organization to more of a political advocacy and uh, lobbying arm that is more known as today. Uh, that's when the NRA started its Ackerman-McQueen relationship because an NRA executive was personal friends with an Ackerman and McQueen head, the chief executive officer or whatever the fuck you want to call him. And I think that is very telling because personally, I look at the history of the NRA and that's when the NRA basically decided to say, you know, fuck this. We had, you know, some gun control get passed in the 1960s. A lot of people weren't personally happy with the way the NRA was not standing up for Second Amendment rights. And then that's when they had the election of new board of directors that started the NRA to what we kind of know of it is today as the political arm of the gun community in defending Second Amendment rights. Uh, but Obviously, there was some fucking tomfoolery going on there because that's when the relationship with Akron McQueen actually started. Uh, and it's even more fucking shady that the relationship started because a NRA board of director executive was personal friends with an Ackerman and McQueen executive themselves. So, hey, let's fucking give this guy some business because he's my friend. And I don't know, maybe he does good work. I don't know. But, hey, he's my friend. He won't fuck us over. But, and that's apparently when also Wayne LaPierre began to work for the NRA. Now, I'm going to read some descriptions straight from the article. And I think it is very interesting and kind of gives you a little bit of, and again, before I start this, let me preface this that saying that this guy has hit has wrote some hit pieces about Wayne LaPierre. He fucking hates the NRA. Uh, but again, he's going based off what he calls sources, even though he doesn't list the sources, saying how they knew Wayne LaPierre, shit like that. But And this is something that if you guys didn't know, this is very telling because he states Wayne LaPierre was a former Democratic legislative aide who had very little experience handling guns and was obviously not suited to as a role as a firebrand, uh, in a role as the firebrand of the NRA that it was becoming in the 70s. Um, so again, you had somebody with little uh, experience with firearms. He was just a legislative aide, so they probably brought him in there, you know, to help with this new political uh, drive that the NRA is going to do. But again, he was a Democratic leg legislative aide. So again. You have somebody coming from a party that is traditionally anti-gun because you got to think in the 60s, whenever the new gun control, uh, uh, Federal Gun Control Act was uh, initiated in the 60s, it was pushed by Democrats. It was pushed by Linda B. Johnson, who was a Democrat. So before, you know, some of you people might 
go on here and says, well, you know, back in them time, you know, Democrats were more like Republicans or Republicans more like Democrats. Yeah, but this was pushed by Democrats, the Federal Gun Control Act in the 60s. So Wayne LaPierre actually worked for those people. But it goes on to state that people who have spent time around him, him being Wayne LaPierre, describe him as a mild, reserved, awkward, and even meek. Uh, but still, he rose in the organization, and he continued to build that close relationship with Ackerman and McQueen. And it goes on to st state in uh, 1991, uh, after Wayne LaPierre became an executive vice president in the NRA, he was once dispatched to appear on a Sunday news show after a school shooting. When a producer entered the green room to bring him on set, Wayne LaPierre, fretting over talking points, was hiding behind a curtain with only his wingtips visible. That is insane. That is a fucking coward, uh, if that is true. But again, he doesn't go to name his sources, uh, but he is just talking shit about Wayne LaPierre throughout this entire thing. A former NRA staffer told me, again, this is in the news article, the agency created the Wayne cult of personality. So when you look at Wayne LaPierre, and it was after the Sandy Hook shooting. You know, I watched the the NRA news conference about gun control because Obama was pushing for gun control after the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, and Wayne LaPierre gave his big statement. You know, I thought, hey, this he's speaking pretty well. Uh, you know, he's doing fairly decent. He's got a little bit of fire in his stomach. You know, showing some testicular fortitude, all that kind of shit. Uh, but apparently, that is all just. A facade and he uh, isn't as I don't know I guess you would say a fucking man's man or a great public speaker as he is being presented uh, and actually his personality is a complete fucking 180 more of a coward uh, so I thought that was very interesting because I personally think Wayne LaPierre is the fucking problem with the NRA and having him in the leadership positions continuously is why the NRA is going in the fucking sorry ass direction that it is. But uh, in its states, going on to this Ackerman and McQueen relationship, Ackerman and McQueen alone was paid $40 million in 2017 by the NRA. And that is a, a ridiculous sum of money. I mean, I understand uh, the NRA needs to have good PR, but $40 million is fucking ridiculous considering when you look at some of the things that Ackerman McQueen has pushed, uh, it goes against with what gun owners and people in the gun community and Second Amendment advocates want. They are uh, very uh, wishy-washy on guns. But, uh, and this is interesting as well, because if you don't know the NRA ILA, which is the lobbying arm of the NRA and the NRA big organization uh, that is having all these financial woes, but it's basically the parent of all this shit, uh, are two separate entities. <coughs> but it's also uh, very telling because in the article he states that Akram and McQueen influences the NRA and it actually, uh, initi you know, the initiatives that the NRA push, Akram and McQueen are huge drivers behind what they push but it actually has some i guess you could say inconsistencies with what the uh, nra ila is doing and in the article it states that the nra ila has actually been hindered because akram mcqueen has pushed a, a certain agenda in the nra that hinders the um 
legislative efforts of the NRA ILA, which, you know, that's the reason why a lot of us are fucking members of the NRA is because we want them to lobby for our gun rights. But you have Akron McQueen sticking their fucking nose and shit and hindering the NRA ILA. So I thought that was very interesting. And, uh, just goes to show why Akron and McQueen are basically the fucking cancer in the NRA, along with the executives that push the close relationship with them that just needs to get the fuck out. Uh, and then something that I thought was interesting as fuck and is also very telling is that uh, Wayne LaPierre's wife is a former Ackerman McQueen employee in the 90s and actually she still has an active email in their server as an employee. Uh, and also, Wayne LaPierre hosts and runs lavish parties for the NRA's Women's Leadership Forum, who uh, goes and wines and dines uh, wealthy women donors to the NRA. So you have Wayne LaPierre, who uh, really pushed for a close relationship when he was with the NRA, uh, well, still with the NRA, but he's pushed for a closer relationship. You have Ackerman McQueen hiring his wife in the 90s. Uh, I'm probably as a favor say, hey, would you mind giving my wife this you know, high paying gig since I give you so much fucking money? And then she leaves and goes to start working for the NRA, which is a little bit of a conflict of interest if your big main boss is your fucking husband. But she still holds an Ackerman McQueen email. And the fact that she spends the NRA's money to host these lavish parties for wealthy women donors. It's just insanity. It's fucking insanity. You know, tell me what you see right in any of that fucking shit. In 1996, the NRA board of directors got together and they knew that they were financially insolvent and noted Wayne LaPierre himself spent over $2 million, not just in one year, ladies and gentlemen, $2 million in one quarter over budget for public relations for the NRA. What part of that do you not see is wrong? I mean, what the fuck is wrong that the NRA has continually let Wayne LaPierre in leadership positions of the NRA if in 1996, fucking 20, almost 25 years ago, he's spending $2 million over budget for the public relations department of the NRA? What the fuck is wrong with these people that they continually let this person run you know, be in powers of position, you know, positions of power, and they just continually let him spend our fucking dues and our money that should be used to protect our Second Amendment rights. But he's using it f to help out his buddies, to help out his fucking wife, to help out his fucking friends and family. Uh, you know, just fucking divvying out money like it's free candy, and he's the pervert in the candy van outside in the neighborhood, just handing out fucking free shit. That's not free, that's our dues, that's our money. It needs to be used to s help grow and have the organization that protects our Second Amendment rights thrive. But... It can it's just the article, and I'm telling you guys, this is only fucking halfway. So again, like I said, I got a feeling this episode's going to go over an hour. So just fucking, uh, just fucking stay with me as long as you can. Wayne Lapierre said he would replace Ackerman McQueen, but in instead he hired a company owned by Ackerman McQueen called Mercury. And again, this is in 1996 because they were starting to say, "Hey, you're spending two million fucking dollars over budget for." public relations and it's all going to Ackerman McQueen. Maybe we should go to another company because they're spending way too much fucking money for public relations. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll go ahead and fucking get another company. 
uh, let me go ahead and hire this other company, which is owned by that same fucking company. Uh, it's fucking retarded. It, it's uh, the worst kind of fucking swindling, I think. But the article gets even better. It, it gets way better and tells you the fucking bullshit that's going on with the NRA for the past 20 to 30 years. But in 2010, the NRA hired a former Mercury Group executive, again, Mercury Group is owned by Ackerman McQueen, to lead fundraising uh, targeting wealthy donors. And this was a push by the NRA in 2010. Uh, and all of the money in this group that is now uh, led by this former Mercury Group executive uh, all the money that he's being used is being flowed into Akram and McQueen. And this fucking guy was paid $620,000. That's absolutely fucking insane. Uh, a former NRA employee that actually worked in this group said that 80% of the people in this group brought in less money than they were paid in their salary. So you have 80% of people that are basically Poor fucking employees. And of course, nothing's being done. Because I guarantee you most of these fucking employees were either friends, former Ackerman McQueen or Mercury employees that said, hey, would you like to come work for us here at the NRA because we can get you a nice cushy fucking salary and you don't have to do much. And they said, hell yeah, let's bring it on in. So, uh, And then this is where things are kind of getting uh, ridiculous for the NRA. Uh, an audit of the NRA since 2007 found for of those 11 years since 2007 when it was done, so it was you know obviously 2018 found that seven of those years the NRA was spending in, uh, over its means. They were spending in debt. In 2017, the NRA has almost completely reached its 25 million dollar credit line. They had to liquidate two million dollars from their investment fund they had to borrow four million dollars from companies executives life insurance policies and borrow another five million dollars from its own charity foundation just to be able to pay the fucking bills this is ridiculous folks the fact that the nra is going through this fucking great lengths to hide its financial insolvency and because hey instead of actually let's buckle our fucking belts a little bit tighter and quit spending so much on stupid shit like giving all this fucking money to Akram McQueen and its different subsidiary companies um <clears throat> they decide to hey let's fucking you know raid the cookie jar to pay for the stupid shit that we want to buy now and this is something that's interesting that I thought uh, definitely we should go into because this is very recent years if you know the NRA had carry guard which they thought is a long-term money solution uh, for the NRA's financial troubles and they invested a lot of motherfucking money into it and of course who did they hire to do the PR for carry guard Yes, if you fucking guess Ackerman and McQueen, give yourself a fucking cookie and a gold star because you are correct. The staff at the NRA, they thought that it was a bad idea, but they were intimidated and bullied if they disagreed with carry guard. And, of course, if you know anything about the NRA's carry guard, uh, it was it's basically fucking self-defense insurance. And, like, with anything is fucking insurance, which I think is a scam, Um you pay a lot of fucking money into it, and you may never, ever use it. Uh, because, like with the NRA Carry Guard, I know there's different self-defense organizations and insurance companies out there that will pay you up front uh, during your 
litigation troubles and your legal troubles whenever you use a firearm for self-defense. But with carry guard, they pay you after the fact. So you got to pay all that money up front. And they only pay you if you're found not guilty. So you might pay you know, $10,000 over the period of 10 or 15 years in the carry guard, you finally shoot and kill somebody. Uh, and then if you're found guilty, guess what? They're not going to reimburse you any of that fucking money. They're just going to keep the 10 or $15,000 they gave you. Um, but anyway, that was their whole plan on to trying to make the NRA more financially solvable. But of course, the state of New York put a big fucking kibosh on the NRA's carry guard. And it is something that if you have kept up with it, it is very, very fucking telling. Because what happened was, is the state of New York, uh, they uh, stated to all of, and of course you have, if you don't know, New York is the financial capital of the United States and one of the largest financial capitals of the world. And the state of New York, uh, through one of their government branches, told uh, insurance companies and banks and shit like that that say if you to do business for basically insurance to kill people, which is what they were labeling carry guard as, then you know we're going to you're going to lose a lot of your your government protection for shit. You know whether it be uh, fucking I don't know whatever the fuck the government does basically to give you a little safety net if you lose a shit ton of money, uh, kind of like the bailouts and fucking shit like that. But anyway, New York. The state of New York uh, basically fucking pulled the rug out from under the NRA in their carry guard, and the carry guard is no more. It is uh, ceased to exist, and because of that, that's when the NRA started losing a lot of shit. Like I know uh, when I first joined the NRA, if uh, you had any firearms stolen, lost, or damaged, all you had to do was uh, file a police report, send it into this insurance that you automatically got with the NRA membership, and they would send you the money for the cost of the gun so you can get a replacement. And uh, that was up to $1,500 that automatically came with your NRA membership. And uh, that was a great fucking thing. I loved it. Uh, but anyway, they don't do that anymore because a lot of these insurance companies dropped the NRA, and that's when the NRA actually started to lose a lot of its discounts uh, that it was able to give to its members. But... Um, anyway, that put the fucking kibosh on the NRA's long-term plan to, you know, make money. But, um, you know, that's just fucking retarded that they put all their eggs in one basket anyways. But anyway, the article continues to go that in uh, July, it says the NRA director of tax and risk management told the board about the 2017 tax filings and they would disclose the Ackerman McQueen and proprieties. And, this is something that I don't know if this, you know, I tried to do a little research to see if she had just got the position. When she looked at this shit, she was like, holy fuck, um, we are paying a lot of money to this one group and it's pretty fucking shady. And, uh, you know, obviously she's the director of tax and risk management at the NRA and this is pretty fucking risky if this shit gets out, which eventually obviously it did uh, because it's now being wrote, uh, you know, a couple years later. And uh, she also wrote in a memo that stated the NRA paid overbilled, deceptive, and vague invoices to preferred vendors and contractors, and that decision made, decisions are made in the best interest of vendors. So she herself is stating that, hey, this is some shady shit going on with Ackerman McQueen, uh, you know, 
they're fucking overbilling us. They're we're paying uh, ridiculous amounts of money for PR. You know, I don't know where she came from, uh, but maybe she was like, you know, hey, my old fucking job, we got the same product for like half the fucking price. Why are we paying this much? Uh, but she let that be known to the NRA board of directors. And she also continues to state that in 2017, 12% of the budget of the NRA was just to pay Akron and McQueen. So look at this, like I said earlier, 10% of the budget is for gun safety and training and 12% of the budget goes to pay just Akron and McQueen. That's fucking insanity. And something else is the director states that Akron and McQueen is getting paid through multiple entities which obscured payments so going back to what the that uh that former i'm uh the former mr fuck i don't know why i can't talk but anyway the former irs guy was saying is that you know the reason that you're doing this that you're paying all these different entities that are owed by are owned by one person is to obscure payments to to show some you know to hide some fucking financial improprieties some financial uh payment improprieties and she herself is saying that yeah that's pretty fucking shady and this is something that just blew my mind uh in the article and if you give me one second i'm going to fucking quote this word for motherfucking word, but it states that a quarter of the NRA staff is former Ackerman and McQueen employees. Let me state that again. This article is stating a quarter of NRA staff are former Ackerman and McQueen employees. That right there is just fucking mind-boggling. I don't understand how, of course, the NRA is going to be more Ackerman McQueen uh, friendly because you have a quarter of its fucking staff that makes the decisions and comes up with their budgets every year and asks for money and shit like that from big NRA, uh, our former Ackerman McQueen employees. So, yeah, uh, they are now going to give more money. Uh, and again, the, the, this memo comes from the, this director. It says, you know, they assert that about a quarter of the organization staff is now managed by former Ackerman employees who have been hired by the NRA, creating financial conflicts of interest. Yeah, I would say if I'm going to give money to my old boss, uh, who I probably still have some friends there, um, I'd be interested to see if they still have Ackerman McQueen email addresses and shit like that. Uh, yeah, they're going to have some for some little bit uh, fucking you know bias in their decision making. But uh, anyway, I'm going to go into uh, some of the fucking crazy contracts that the NRA has agreed with uh, in regards to people that work there. And this is just going to blow your fucking mind how much the NRA is just fucking pissing away money. Wayne Sheets, who uh, was a fundraiser uh, for the NRA, who's now retired from the NRA. He was uh, now an NRA consultant. He gets paid $30,000 a month regardless if he even fucking works. Uh, and this has been since seven, in 2017 alone, he was paid $710,000 with an additional $240,000 reimbursed for his expenses. And his contract was just extended to 2023. So you have this fucking guy who is paid $30,000 a month just to... You know, even if he does work, if he doesn't, if he does work, thirty thousand dollars. If he doesn't do work, thirty thousand dollars. So he can just sit on his ass and not do anything or go on vacation. He gets paid thirty thousand dollars regardless because it's in his contract. And the NRA just fucking extended his contract till twenty twenty three. 
But folks, it gets even fucking juicier. And I'm going to quote this word for word because this is Wayne LaPierre's himself contract. It states that the contract provides for consulting services and personal appearances upon the end of his employment at an annual rate that starts at his currently contracted final base salary and is later reduced. Wayne LaPierre earns more than a million dollars a year. So, again, this is from the tax director guy says, I've never seen anything like that before. So, basically, once Wayne LaPierre retires, he finally fucking decides to leave. That means the NRA, our tax, our, our dues are still going to be taxed to pay fucking Wayne LaPierre over a million dollars a year just for consulting services and personal appearances. That motherfucker can take his sorry ass onto the couch at the house because I don't want his ass anywhere near any NRA functions ever again because he is a huge reason why the NRA is in its financial troubles and why it has been wishy-washy on our Second Amendment rights since he's been a part of this fucking organization. But because of a contract that the NRA had signed, uh, it is has, you know, I, I'm just I'm seriously starting to get out of fucking lost words because I am so fucking infuriated with this shit. And of course, since the emergency it states the article since the emergency meeting in July, sources familiar with the board's decision says the audit committee has retroactively signed off on at least some of the NRA's problematic transactions. So the NRA board of directors saw that hey, holy fuck, we have some serious problems with our financial spending and we need to retroactively sign off on some of this shit because it looks pretty fucking shady and we can get some serious shit if we don't sign off on this so hey it may be july and this shit was paid in january but let's say we signed in january so that way it doesn't look less you know it looks a little less shady it doesn't look as shady and i think that's fucking ridiculous i mean the nra board of directors needs to grow some fucking balls you have 75 different members there's got to be somebody with some testicular fortitude on that board that is going to stand up to the horse shit that Wayne LaPierre and the Ackerman McQueen is doing. It's in fucking insanity. But I will say that stop ring right there. That's where the article basically stops. But I will say this, and this is a different article. This article actually comes from Amelan, and it was uh, written on April 17th. And it is the NRA sues Ackerman McQueen. And thank God they finally decided to do something. Uh, but it states that the NRA is suing Ackerman McQueen. Basically, not just for the millions of dollars that they fucking swindled from him. Uh, but because Ackerman McQueen runs NRA TV and they obviously are billing the fuck out of the NRA for this. And the NRA has asked Ackerman McQueen says, hey, y'all are... You know, we're fucking starting to get some heat now because of all this fucking money we're paying you. Can you at least give us something that states, hey, this is how much you're paying us. This is the breakdown of where your money is spent. This is the breakdown of how this is benefiting your organization. Shit like that. And uh, Ackerman McQueen says, fuck y'all. Basically, we're not doing that shit. You know, you've never asked for this before. Guess what? You don't need it now. And so the NRA is suing Ackerman McQueen, not necessarily for money back but it is just suing for the records and i guarantee you Akram mcqueen is going to start doing some retroactive fucking bookkeeping to show oh hey you know whenever we did this spent this 20 million dollars on nra tv this is the breakdown of all it was but they're just making this shit up now because you know they've gone gotten away with murder for fucking 40 50 years now and all of a sudden now they're being 
brought to task for what they're doing with this money. So they've never kept up with the single fucking dollar they spend the NRA's money because it's always been their buddies, you know, running this shit. But now since the NRA is being, you know, held with their feet to the fire in what the they are spending their money on, they're finally stating, hey, we need to show this to our members and show this to the media that's asking us questions because, uh, you know, was last sometime last year, you know, the mainstream media was reporting that the NRA was in financial trouble. Uh, but obviously, this article is being just posted. You know, a good investigative journalist uh, did some digging to find out what the fuck was going on, and uh, this is what they're showing. So Akron McQueen is being tasked about that. But guess what? There's a little twist. The lawyer, a fucking William A. Brewer, who is the legal counsel for the NRA, who is suing the NRA, is a brother-in-law to an Ackerman and McQueen CEO, Revan McQueen, and the son-in-law, I'm sorry, he's the brother-in-law of of, uh, Revan McQueen, and he's the son-in-law of co-CEO Angus McQueen. So, you know, it just goes to show the fucking tentacles that the Ackerman McQueen has in the NRA. And it just goes to show that is anything really going to be done? I mean, you have this fucking guy that supposedly works for the NRA and he's suing Ackerman McQueen for these records, but he is the son-in-law and brother-in-law to the CEO of Ackerman McQueen. That's going to be a motherfucking awkward Thanksgiving if you ask me. Uh, So is anything going to be done? Time will tell. But hey, uh, before we close out this segment, I just want to... uh, and I obviously looked up the trace again when I was looking up, uh, doing some research on this article. And they did a, uh, a second piece in regards to this article. And it's actually written by a different individual. Uh, but it's actually uh, states seven revelations from our investigation into the NRA shady finances. And I'm not going to go into any further depth because I actually went into detail with every single one of these points, but I thought this was a great article to finish this segment with because I think it is important that you realize what the seven main things that you should take away from this article because this is the largest gun organization out there that helps defend your Second Amendment rights. It does a lot of good even though it does a whole lot of shitty stuff, and I think if you are an NRA member, you need to write to your board of directors. You need to vote for your board of directors, and you need to let them know that what their NRA, you know, what the NRA is doing, and the current path that it's on is is just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It should be unacceptable to any fucking gun owner out there. Um, and I obviously want to see the NRA continue to survive, and I want it to thrive and grow. But I want it to survive and thrive and grow, and go off in the right path. Uh, and it's pretty sad uh, because you know. If you keep up with anything, I'm, I like Adam Kraut. Uh, you know, I follow his social media. Uh, he runs, like, I think this is his third or fourth fucking year running for the board of directors. Again, he's not been elected. Uh, I think it's kind of shady, but, you know, they're saying they hadn't been elected, and I think he'd be great on the board of directors. He's a Second Amendment attorney. He does a lot of work with the Firearms Policy Coalition or the Firearms Policy Foundation. I can't remember which one. Uh, I think it's a little retarded that one's FPF and one's FPS, one FPC. Uh, so it's hard to kind of tear, you know, keep them apart in my mind. Even their fucking logos look the same. But anyway, um, you know, you need to support the NRA in 
not just blindly support them, just like you shouldn't blindly support the government. Whether you like Trump or you hate Trump, whether you liked Obama or you hated Obama, you shouldn't blindly support your government, but you need to support your government. And I think you need to support the NRA if you are a gun owner, but you need to let them know that you want shit done right and you want them to change. But closing out this segment, I'm going to really talk about the seven revelations from our investigation into the NRA shady finances written by, again, the Trace, which is a highly anti-gun and pro-gun control news organization. But anyway, it goes on to say is states that the for a former NRA, a uh, former senior employee raised alarms about sketchy payment side deals and conflicts of interest costing the NRA millions of dollars, which could be the source that, you know, they were talking about earlier. They didn't obviously give a name uh, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it appears to be legit uh, because it, you know, coincides with a lot of the stuff that they said. The next point is many of the problematic arrangements involve the NRA's long-term messaging firm, which is obviously Acronym Minimum Queen, uh, which is a fucking cancer the NRA needs to get rid of. The next one is the NRA pays executives and consultants through multiple entities obscuring the true sums. So even though it says the NRA pays... Wayne LaPierre, uh, you know, over a million dollars, fuck, he could get paid $5 million because of different side deals and shit like that. Other top executives have secured lucrative payouts and received additional compensation from vendors. Obviously, that is fucking true when we talked about Wayne Sheets and all this other kind of shit. Um, The NRA blames New York state regulators for its current financial turmoil, but its problems are self-inflicted. That is also very fucking true. The NRA obviously tried to do something by putting all their eggs in one basket or whatever eggs they had left in one basket and to carry guard. And, uh, you know, NRA fucking put the kibosh on that shit and said, fuck y'all, this is what we're going to do. Experts who reviewed the NRA statements are reporting saying that the NRA actions could threaten its existence as a nonprofit. That is a huge deal. And then the last one, it states that the revelations are equally troubling to those who believe in the NRA's mission. And that is 100% fucking true, folks. If you believe in what the NRA at least stands for, uh, the protection of gun amendment rights, this is very fucking troubling. And I think this is something that we as gun advocates not only need to uh, obviously advocate for more gun rights and less gun control and push back against gun control, but we also need to lobby and advocate against our leaders in the gun organizations in the gun community to be fucking better than what they are. They need to be the epitome of leadership and uh, virtues and values of what we believe in. So, folks, this is an interesting and crazy article. It goes to show what the NRA is doing wrong and what is fucking happening to our gun community. Uh, yes, we have different organizations out there. We have the Gun Owners of America, the Firearms Policy Coalition, the Firearms Policy Foundation, the Second Amendment Foundation, but they are puppies considering what they stand up against the NRA. The NRA has been around for over 100 years. The NRA is supported by basically every gun manufacturer out there uh, to help you know save their business because if the gun control politicians, any politicians get their way, uh, they would be out of business. So the NRA is the biggest dog in the fight, and we need to make sure that they not only are around, but they continue to be around, but they support our 
thoughts, our values, our positions. They need to stop being wishy-washy. They need to be good stewards of our money and everything, all the above. Uh, But folks, that is going to be the end of the segment. And as I stated, fucking support the NRA, but you need to support them the right way. You need to write the board of directors. You need to vote for the board of directors. You need to let your voices be heard and let them know that if they continue this, they will no longer be the big dog. And if that is continue the case, I'm going to say, you know what? Fuck the NRA. If the GOA becomes the big dog, support the GOA. But the NRA does so much good that you just can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, in my opinion. And that's why we need to, to continue to fight and support uh, the change of what we believe in in the NRA. Folks, I am going to take a break uh, from the serious shit because I'm telling you, that article just fucking had my blood pressure going all kinds of fucking crazy ways, knowing what the NRA has done and fuckers like Wayne P- Wayne LaPierre. So I'm actually going to go into a uh, satire story from pewpewtactical.com. And this is funny as fuck. Pew Pew Tactical has had some great satire stories, stories here lately. And... The headline, of course, we're going to be making fun of the NRA because of our first article, but it states the NRA introduces SoundCloud rapper persona to counter abysmal millennial membership. This is funny. I shared this on the Facebook page. If you folks want to look at this fucking thing, it's hilarious. It starts off by saying, in a blatant marketing move to uh, move sure to come across a tragically unhip to target its demographic. The National Rifle Association announced today its intentions to introduce a new spokesperson aimed specifically at bolstering millennial membership, which it fucking sucks at, like I was stating earlier. Uh, but it says, but when you've got an entire demographic that generally refuses to engage within the organization, you got to say, hey, try something new, you know? We worked at leading marketing firms, probably Ackerman and Queen, they should have put that fucking thing in there, that would have made it more hilarious, and paired millennial interest to substance abuse and face tattoos with some good old-fashioned baby boomer sensibility. The NRA is proud to introduce ex-young Gatman, the f- world's first octogenarian SoundCloud rapper. And folks, don't worry about it. I went ahead and looked up what the fuck octogenarian means because I sure shit didn't know. And basically, it means anybody that's between the ages of 80 and 89. So, yeah, that's what that means. But anyway, it's in the set article. It says, uh, Why Young Gat Main already has come out with 430 streams to include Prune Juice and Zan, Stop and Power, Club Remix featuring Pitbull, Jokes on You, We Ruined a Planet, and Mother Futter. That shit is pretty funny. And then it has a quote in here from, says Wayne LaPierre, it says, Mumble Rap already glorifies firearms, so the lateral move feels natural. If we can speak the millennial language, we firmly believe we can get them to drop the scissor up and lean and become upstanding young NRA members. When further pressed, Wayne LaPierre stated, wanted to clarify that he does not quite understand what lean and scissor it means. But anyway, folks, that was pretty fucking funny. I just wanted to throw that satire in there. When we're talking about news, uh, something interesting that's come out that I thought is, uh, you know, one to give kind of my, my two cents on. 
the official uh, U.S. Border Patrol handgun now, they select the Gen 5 uh, pistols for duty handguns. And specifically, they have chosen the G47, which is pretty fucking interesting because all that's available to the civilians and that has Glock released in their presses uh, releases is so far up to the Gen 45. Uh, so the Gen 47 basically is just a Gen 17 frame and the Gen 47 is a 17 slide with the front serrations MOS ready. Uh, so basically it's just a 17 MOS with the Gen 5 frame and it has the front serrations. That all That's all it fucking is. Um, so I don't know why they decided to give it another fucking uh, you know, another fucking number, but you know how Glock does their shit. Uh, currently, the Border Patrol carries HK P2000s, uh, chambered in 40 Smith & Wesson, and before that, they carried the Beretta 96 Brigadier pistols in 40 Smith & Wesson. So they're finally getting rid of the bastard caliber 40 Smith & Wesson. So, makes me wonder, where the fuck is the 46? When is it coming out? Uh, that should be something that's interesting. Uh, when is the 47 going to become available to the civilian market? I mean, Glock has, obviously, they're fucking fanboys. Uh, I've been wanting to get one of the new Gen 5 Glocks, either the 19X, the 45. Uh, you know, I, I am wanting to get into the red dot market this year, so I'll probably end up getting uh, one of the uh, Gen MO, or the uh, Glock MOSs. I actually have a Smith & Wesson Pro Core uh, in 9mm that's optic ready, but I haven't uh, mounted an optic for it. I'm just kind of shopping around, seeing what kind of optic I want to get. But that's pretty interesting. Uh, be looking out for the G47, and honestly, I say be looking out for the G46 uh, because Glock always goes in those numbers. Next news article uh, comes from Recoil, and this is pretty funny. If you've been on social media, keeping up with any firearms news here lately, you've seen this. This is fucking hilarious. Uh, these fucking dumbasses that did this. If you're one of them, I'm sure you've already uh, put your dog in a boarding home. So that way the ATF doesn't come and kill it. But a multiple reports of Wish.com, Glock Sears, uh, from the auto Sears that they sold on Wish.com for a while. ATF is raiding those motherfuckers' homes. Now these people are fucking retarded for buying one of these auto Sears. Uh, that was either you know labeled as for airsoft or for 80% or some of those fucking things on wish.com because I like to go on there sometimes just look and see what the fuck they got. Uh, they just labeled them as auto sears for Glocks. So some of these fucking people went on wish.com and uh, in the article it states they paid anywhere between 12 to 32 dollars to have these fucking things sent to their home. So these fucking idiots used their real name. Well, they might not even use their real name, but I guarantee you they fucking used. Uh, their real credit cards or they had this shit sent to their real address or something associated with their name and their real address. Pretty fucking stupid on any of these uh, idiots who's had their homes raided and been arrested. And I mean, they're looking at serious felony time. They're looking up to 10 years in prison and up to $250,000 worth of fines. So if you were this fucking stupid, uh, you might want to have yourself a boating accident or say that that shit was never sent to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back it up. This is not legal advice. If you did this, you're a fucking idiot. Um, you did that, you might as well just go ahead and fucking, you know, beat your face right now because you're fucking Darwinism at its finest. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's, I knew that was going to fucking come. Anybody that did that shit, that was retarded enough to do that shit, you know, Darwinism at its finest, you know, you fucking idiots. I believe that you should have the right to own your machine gun even as a law enforcement officer. I don't think you need to go through all that class three and, and class two and all that shit. 
with the ATF, I think you should be able to own it. But until the laws change, you need to follow the law so your ass doesn't end up in prison. Now we're going to go into the product spotlight. Uh, this is something that is uh, the Ruger has come out with. Ruger has been kind of fucking killing it, I think, this week in product releases. And it's something interesting that I think that... Uh, you know, the spotlight. A lot of people don't give Ruger their due when it comes to products, uh, but Ruger's come out with two new products this week. They've come out with uh, the uh, PC, the, the little pistol carbine uh, rifle that accepts Glock mags. They came out with a uh, one that has a M-Lock foregrip, which is pretty cool. I, uh, like I've stated before, I'm a USPSA shooter, and I've seen somebody, uh, you know, shooting uh, the PCC division. Uh, with one of these uh, PC Ruger PC nines, um, I think they're pretty neat. Uh, I think they should have a little bit more options for them. So, like maybe a collapsible stock. Um, you know, obviously now they're coming out with the M lock handguard, so that you can put accessories on the front. If you want to put a, uh, a vertical foregrip on front or something up front that you can get a hold of. So uh, that's something that they come out with, and then also they came out with this new little uh, 22 revolver. And something that's even cooler about it is the MSRP is only. I think $250. Um, I think that is a heritage killer. You know, you're looking at getting a 22 revolver uh, caliber handgun, but you're looking at the Ruger name. So you get a little bit better of uh, quality, I believe, in doing that. And then also, uh, in regards to, uh, you know, the Ruger coming out, it, it's a pretty cool little gun. You know, I got a, a little uh, heritage 22 revolver myself, I do say, and I love taking it out. My son likes shooting it. He's eight years old. It's a perfect little gun for him to shoot. So uh, that's something that Ruger's come out. Those are uh, two product spotlights. Like I said, a lot of people don't give Ruger their due in regards to products that they come out with. But I think Ruger's been kind of killing it the past five years. You had the Ruger PC9. You had uh, the Ruger Security 9s that are competing with the Glock 19s in the handgun market, you've had the Ruger Americans come out. Those are really nice rifles. I know a lot of people like to use those for hunting. Hell, some people I know even use those uh, for a little uh, PRS themselves, uh, you know, that do it as hobbies. that not want to break the bank in reference to a, a, a long-range long rifle. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, give, give it to Ruger. There's going to be no uh, product review this week just because I went a little long on the news uh, article in regards to the NRA. So let's go on and get into our next segment, segment which is going to be uh, Firearms in Culture. In this segment in Firearms and Gun Culture, uh, in Modern Culture, we're going to be talking about what I stated earlier, we're going to be talking about The Highwaymen. This is a pretty badass little movie that's been on Netflix, just came out a couple weeks ago. It's got Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson in it. It's about them being two former Texas Rangers hired on under the new Texas Department of Public Safety as the Highwaymen. And their job is to hunt down Clyde Barker and uh, what the fucker name is, Bonnie something. But anyway, Bonnie and Clyde is what they're known as. It is a, uh, you know, they go on and they go on to uh, hunt down Bonnie and Clyde and it's pretty historically accurate as a history nut. I really fucking love the movie as a law enforcement officer. I thought it was pretty fucking cool. I told people this is what happens when you get fucking administration and politics out of law enforcement and they get the fucking job done because even the FBI could not get Bonnie and Clyde. It took two old school law enforcement guys, two old school Texas Rangers to hunt them down and to, to get Bonnie and Clyde and end their, uh, end their reign of terror in the heartland of America during the Great Depression. But the uh, weapons that were used, and this is coming again from IMFDB, which is who we use as our source in all of our 
guns in modern culture, in main culture, and especially in the movies. Uh, they used revolvers. They used a single-action army revolver, Smith & Wesson M 1917 revolver, and, of course, they used the 1911. Even more cool, they used, uh, of course, the Thompson submachine gun. They used the Winchester Model 12, Browning Auto 5 uh, in shotguns, 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun and a coat shotgun in rifles and carbines. They used the BAR, the Browning uh, Automatic Rifle. The M19 Browning Automatic Rifle, the Colt Monitor, the M1903 Springfield, the Remington Model 8 Autoloading Rifle, the Winchester Model 1894, and the Winchester Model 1907. And I tell you what, I thought the coolest part of this fucking movie was, was Kevin Costner just walks up into a gun store and he's got a list of fucking guns and he's saying, let me look at all this shit. And the gun store owner uh, lays all this shit out and he says, I want all of it and I want this many fucking cases of ammo to go with it. Uh, it is a really cool, uh, really cool fucking movie. Really cool looking at some of the old guns on there. Not being too boomer and fuddish, but it was pretty cool to see somebody get those fucking weapons. You know, before uh, you know laws were passed saying that you couldn't get fully automatic weapons like that. So he just fucking walked in there and, and picked that shit up and just fucking went to town and was doing his thing hunting down Bonnie and Clyde. It's a good movie. If you have Netflix, watch it. If you don't have Netflix, I'm sure that fucking videos or the movie is already on Netflix somewhere. Uh, but you should probably go watch it. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool gun movie. And that is going to be our end of our culture segment. You could tell them that I've been from hell and back. When the heat is on, I fire back. In this cold world, where your light is at. Let's burn it down. Well, fucking fellas and ladies, this is going to be the wrap-up of the podcast. I want to appreciate y'all for listening. Uh, cut some of it short a little bit. Didn't get into too much detail. Some of the other stuff, just because I went to so much motherfucking detail in reference to that previous article, the main article that I went over to today. Uh, but I thought it was pretty fucking important that y'all get to know this and, and get to know what's going on with the NRA, gets what's you know know what's going on with the uh, gun community, with people that are tasked for supporting the gun community uh, so I felt like it was pretty important to go over that uh, didn't go too much over an hour but uh, yeah I appreciate y'all listening to me and I'm going to go through this episode a little more thoroughly hopefully everything fucking works and this will be the first complete episode with no uh, fucking you know breaks and silence because the bumper music not fucking playing and shit like that but anyway I appreciate y'all listening to the podcast go give us a like and follow on our social media subscribe to us on any fucking platform that podcasts are, are played on uh, spotify stitcher itunes google play uh you know give subscribe leave us review let us know how we're doing fucking shoot me an email uh shoot me a message on social media let me know what you think of the show let me know what you think i'm doing better uh and again i'm trying to fucking get somebody to, to host this shit with me if you fucking feel like you want to be on the show shoot me a message hell i might fucking put you on an episode and we'll see how this works but uh i want to appreciate y'all again for listening to the show Give us a like and follow. And again, uh, even though we fucking bashed heavily the NRA today, it's mainly a bash on the NRA leadership. I think we should still support the NRA. More importantly, after reading that article, I think I'm more going to support the NRA ILA. I'm probably still going to have my NRA membership, uh, but I don't know if I'm going to support the main NRA as much as I used to. I'm also a member of the GOA, the Gun Owners Association. I'm a member of the Firearms Policy Coalition, and I'm also a member of my state's, uh, my local state organization, Bama Carry, uh, that supports uh, gun ownership and the Second Amendment. 
So, you know, like I stated earlier, the main way to support the Second Amendment is through advocacy, lobbying, and litigation. NRA is the largest lobbying arm of the gun community, and I think we need to support them because of that. But then again, I also, like I said, it's mainly the NRA ILA. Uh, I also think that we need to make our voices heard in the gun community to let us know what we think that is wrong with the the world and our culture today in regards to the attack on the second amendment and we need to make sure that we protect our constitutional rights so that way they can be passed down for generations to come so that way what we enjoy today is something that our children grandchildren and future generations can enjoy as well in reference to the gun community so uh, i think it's important that you join at least one of those organizations if not more than one of those organizations just because it is an important part of the gun community but that is going to be the episode today folks i appreciate you listening and give us a tune in two weeks and let me know what you think you know i mean i might be doing this shit wrong this is my my third episode of this fucking podcast but let me know call constructive criticism i can fucking take it but y'all have a great easter weekend hope y'all did and y'all have a great couple weeks until i see you again Night after night, my heartbeat shows the fear. Ghosts appear and fade away. Below between the sheets only brings exasperation. It's time to walk the streets. Smell the desperation At least there's pretty lights Though there's little variation It nullifies the night From overkill Day after day it reappears